In three travel containers outside my office slash podcasting room is my record collection. I've been utilising my friend Connorsite's Bowen as a means of sending him lots of stuff. And it's the kind of thing, I do have additional friends now that I'm going to be abusing with that, particularly as I start digging through unpainted miniatures. But there are a series of things in my life that I'm trying to get in order, in particular because of my young daughters. And my record collection is one of these things. I had originally travelled with a turntable and a mixer that would amplify and my 300 or so records. But I haven't opened the record collection for probably about maybe four years. And I'm starting to think that almost everything I would want in the form of records is available now on iTunes. Now, people may be throwing down their MP3 players in disgust at that, with the view that not everything is available on streaming. It's the classic... VHS, well, even prior to VHS, a bunch of stuff wasn't actually put onto VHS. A bunch of stuff wasn't actually put onto DVD. Some of those films I've gone out of my way to find slightly bootleg-esque versions on DVD. In particular, the Barbara Hershey classic Last Summer, which puts me, I don't know, with a group of similarly crazed people that like their psychedelic films surprisingly mainstream it actually i think was nominated at least for an academy award but never made it to dvd for strange reasons well anyway there are reasons why it didn't make it to dvd the same is true with regards to music there's a bunch of stuff which never made it from vinyl to tape never made it from tape to cd never made it from vinyl to cd and a portion of my vinyl collection does represent that so i'm debating whether i end up keeping a third of my record collection, or less than a third of my record collection, and give the remainder away. Particularly because, well, the difficulty is that I do actually still understand the distinction between what a record produces and what digital streaming music produce, and the fact that there's a keen distinction. For example, the Rolling Stones, the early Rolling Stones through till about 1970, well, even including their 1970s release, play so much better on record than they do on digital streaming. There's just so much more bass and so much more nuance within it. So part of this is not because I want to get rid of my records, really fundamentally. Part of it is because I see in the future my record shouldn't be a burden to my children. And probably about a third of my records that I actually purchased from my parents, I purchased from my parents. And... That whole thing is very curious. Above my bookshelves in my podcasting room, I have a copy of the Beatles white cover album that is my in-laws copy that they gave to me that is so layered with fungus as not to really be probably worth holding on to unless you want to breathe in the same fungus that obviously infected the record. So this is a (laughs) pre-roll for what I'm going to have to do with regards to my books. My wife has a long list of things she wants me to get rid of. My painted miniature collection is part of that. So we have the books to deal with, we have the unpainted miniatures to deal with, but the record collection needs to go down to probably something... I mean, it's going to be really hard to get it to even probably 20 records, but in that ballpark, at least let's get it down to 50. And the irony with regards to the record collection is that it all represents various periods of time. 
My main collecting, well, my first major collecting of records was when I was a university student and I bought a lot of two and five dollar records at the university. And I don't know what they called, like the sales that the university would have. There would be record sellers there. I would go and buy, you know, 10 records for 20 bucks. And I didn't really care what they were. I just bought them for 20 bucks so I could put them on my record player and listen to them. I was, although at university in the late 1990s, still living in that paradigm of relatively cheap, interesting music still to be found on records. I also was a DJ who DJed with records. So I used to occasionally DJ in nightclubs. Mainly I would DJ for myself and my friends periodically. And I would make CDs and mixtapes, mainly mixtapes initially. CDs by the time I got to the shed, which was the end of university. I recorded a couple of CDs worth of music as well, which wasn't just me DJing. It was me playing the piano and doing a bunch of other stuff. People might know from this podcast that if you put my name into iTunes and a variety of other, even Amazon Music and these kind of places, Spotify, you'll find some of my music that still is there. Thanks in large part to having a majority of my work expunged from the internet. I thought, well, damn it, I better put this out at least. So I got out some of my music then. So some of these records have that emotion. Some of these records are also records that I completely scratched up through DJing and purchased second copies of and these kind of things. So my hope is that half of them are just junk, but I don't know that yet. And the whole thing about this kind of emotional connection to stuff is something that I've truly tried to divorce myself through the end of COVID, post-COVID period. And discovering, which I still have, unfortunately, to go through, COVID boxes periodically, I just think I went clinically insane through the COVID period, and the boxes really are testament to that fact. So the records I'm just going to have to get rid of, and... My wife would like to make some money out of these things, funnily enough. I don't know how, but she would like to. So she's going to be my dealer (laughs) in order to get rid of these records. And I think part of the breaking down of the collection is working out what is actually saleable and what just isn't saleable. I mean, this is where it gets difficult because I have a record. I have a series of records that I bought in Switzerland, for example, that are unique Swiss battle rap or French rap. I'm not a huge French rap fan. I used to listen to it. It used to be interesting. But I don't think that has a market here in Las Vegas. You never know. Maybe. But, you know, all these things, all these kind of cuts and diagonals, and, of course, a good portion, like I said, of the records were my parents' records, emotional attachment, what have you. But increasingly, I realized that this, as the sole owner of the emotion, and eventually I can convey this to my daughters, I'm sure, with regards to our actual music that I'm playing on iTunes streaming. I mean, I found this with regards to the police, for example, or the Beach Boys, two groups that I have in my collection and, you know, no doubt don't need the original vinyl. And in fact, the original vinyl oftentimes, particularly with the police, the police was played on cassette tapes and I sure as heck don't have any of those left. So, well, I do, but not of the police. So the ability to share the music with my daughters is very different than these physical things that weigh collectively probably between 60 to 100 pounds, at least, of the vinyl. So this is the scenario that's building in my mind currently, moving then towards attacking the books. The books are, from my perspective, once I get rid of the unpainted miniatures, probably 
not in, well, maybe in the order of weight of the miniatures that are painted, but just really, you know, me having to cough up, I don't know what I said publicly on this, maybe $12,000 when we lived in San Jose to actually get them shipped to Las Vegas. I don't want to be paying that kind of money in the future. I'm probably going to pay that kind of money quite comfortably if I move anywhere, but I want to at least reduce the footprint with the books, get some more shelves that are open, maybe initially go through shelf by shelf. And I have a bunch of books, which, well, for example, I have my grandparents' old Mac and... I don't know what they were called, style writer printer manuals. They are a thing of the past. I don't have any of the inside Mac DA books or anything like that. I'm not that extreme. But the the beauty of one of these old Mac manuals, I don't know. I'm going to have to go through it. But actually, when you talk about sheer volume, Osprey books, I mean, let's see what happens with those. But just the sheer volume of that... And there are a number of Osprey books that I genuinely don't like. The, the Recount of the Bay of Pigs is just horrendous. But that's one book out of, I don't know, 200, 400, 800? Who knows? And then you've got all the duplicates. And the duplicates really are a problem. And I've talked maybe historically in podcasts about the duplicates because the records have duplicates and the books sure as heck have duplicates. And this came from being a... I don't know. I mean, sometimes I'll actually buy books knowing that I own the books already just because I want to have the books and I don't want to have to find the books. This is less of a problem now, thankfully, because all the books are out and on display, which makes it a lot easier not to purchase the same books, except if you're in a second-hand bookstore and you see, for example, the Realms of Chaos, I believe, where the, the actual thing where the demons and the warriors were still together before Games Workshop split those two apart. These kind of things. So you want a little bit of nostalgia. You don't want to find your original version. Well, I've had that nostalgia and I have my original version as well. In fact, when I look at the codices just from Games Workshop, fascinating stuff. Five versions of the same Imperial Guard version, which meant I must have had that emotion a large number of times through the past 15 years of my life since that codex actually came out. It really is a deep and dark dive into my psychology, the number of books that I have. And the records are a start of that. The cleaning up the records is a start of that. Going through and realizing that there's a bunch of stuff, even up until, even through the early part of the pandemic, I still periodically, for example, Noble Records on Facebook, I still periodically bought records from there and still periodically was ripped off with records that they sent me that weren't correct records and this kind of experience, even though I didn't have an active turntable to put the records on. So the dream of having a space where I have a turntable and a few records, that's possible. Whether I'll sell the turntable or the mixer, highly likely. They weigh a tonne. And the remaining records, I'm going to have to go through a throwaway, donate, saleable. And the saleable ones, I think, are going to go saleable donate, maybe the same group. Maybe we'll just do a donation and then take it off our taxes next year. Who knows? But it is an interesting experience because there are records that I have a history with, as previously noted. And we'll just have to see how all this stuff pans out. So, therapeutically, I will try to record a podcast through this process and once it's done. And I don't know how much these things will actually be worth. My suspicion is that they are virtually worthless. My suspicion with the books is that they are virtually worthless, but still a process worth going through to actually say you've done it and now you have X number of pounds worth of stuff 
that you no longer need to heave around like some kind of, I don't know, snail with a jet airplane glued to it, which is kind of the way I feel currently. So moving from that is part of the whole catharsis with regards to passing them on and also realizing that my iterative sense of music, for example, I have a number of records by John Lennon. Since going to the Dakota building just before the pandemic started when we were in New York, I don't know, 2018, I found it very difficult to listen to John Lennon now. Like, his music reminded me, like, bang, I was standing at the place he was shot. That just doesn't make me want to listen to his music. It was a really stupid place for him to get shot. Anyway, so no doubt I've got that to enjoy. I have been able to go back and find periodic John Lennon albums on iTunes occasionally, but I really don't... I mean, in a given week, I would listen to John Lennon probably... I don't know, far too much. So I have this represented in records. They'll be easy to get rid of, I hope. More when I come to some midpoint with regards to this process. I also wanted to just add as a little footnote. I'm currently writing the Sim Line book. I have the first, it's a three book series, which is how I've created it because it's the only way I can kind of break it up in my mind. The first book is fully, well, the first book is at its first edits, going through its second edit currently. Then I'm going to find a copy editor, and then I'm going to send the copy editor a copy of the first book. And in the process, I'm starting the second book, which is mainly a satire of the first book and more additional details. Probably be a little bit shorter than the first book. And then the final book is the analysis associated with all this these artifacts that I have, and actually turning them into agent models. And in parallel, I'm getting a map editor together for SimC Line, which I'm... I don't know, an eighth of the way through. I mean, part of the writing the book is actually talking about how I divide these projects up into literally slithers, wafer-thin slithers of development timing. And that's what I'm working on currently. So if you wonder why the podcasts are infrequent, it's because I'm doing a bunch of stuff after hours these days and still hopefully clinging on to the the fatherhood, (laughs) or at least spending some time with my daughters. Anyway, Tom Barbelay in Las Vegas, Nevada, signing out.